1: Having a financial plan is vital to charting your financial future. I know that some of us really don't like talking about money because it can be overwhelming, which is why you may want to consider speaking with the professionals at Smith Brewer Advisors. From retirement to investment management and estate and tax planning, an experienced financial advisor at Smith Brewer Advisors will help you create a plan to meet your financial goals. And what's awesome? They empower their clients to make the right decisions for their individual situation. To learn more about working with a fiduciary financial advisor, visit smithbreweradvisors.com. Proud sponsors of the Global Chatter podcast. Smith Brewer Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. When we think about moving, unsurprisingly, we spend a lot of time thinking about the move itself. Planning to move to a new culture takes up a lot of our physical time and emotional space. But for those of us who've had the experience, you know it's not always smooth. And don't let social media fool you. It may seem like people are having the time of their lives, and they very well could be, but it doesn't mean that there aren't challenges that come with it. If you listen to either Juanita Ingram's episode or Temkara Adun's, you'll know that both of them highlighted the challenges they faced when they moved abroad. Which makes sense why Alicia Partie launched Authenticrate. It aims to help her audience intentionally plan for the emotional transition that comes with living in a new country or culture. After a career working across a variety of Fortune 500 companies and startup organizations, Alicia found herself moving to Norway with her husband and quickly began to feel the impact of stepping into a world that navigates very differently from the one she was familiar with. Alicia, who's a transformational coach, licensed marriage and family therapist, executive pastor, author, and entrepreneur, has leaned on her experiences and training to help others leverage those challenges into positive adventures. In this episode the California native discusses how her professional career experiences strengthened her cross-cultural understanding and acumen. She discusses the culture shock of moving from L.A. to Norway and digs deep into why she's building her brand to help others prepare for their own integration. Alicia offers some wisdom that can be applied across countries or the boardroom and everywhere in between where different people and cultures have the opportunity to meet welcome to the global chatter all right so we're back to the latest episode of the global chatter and Yes, I say this every episode. Does it matter? It's still true. My guest today is still fire because all my guests are fire and they are amazing. I know Alicia is laughing in the background. Yes. You can't, you can't be mad if someone's hyping you up, right? Yes. For for the conversation. That's
0: true. You can't.
1: <laughs> and so I know you guys have listened to the intro. You know that Alicia is part of the story today, mm-hmm. and 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 I have been talking to her off air. And I just think that what we are going to talk about is just going to help and bless a good number of people mm. because cultural entry and cultural reentry yeah. are two things that, you know, once you get over being excited that you're moving to Paris or you're moving to Accra, mm. the next thing is, wait, how do I actually make my day to day here and feel like my whole self? So, Alisa, how are you doing today? I
0: am doing well, enjoying the sunshine here in California. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What, what part of Cali are you in? I'm in Northern California, about 45 minutes outside of San Jose
1: okay Mm -hmm. are you are you originally from california i am born and raised oh okay so Mm -hmm. (laughs) you born and raised Mm -hmm. and i mean you're there now and i was gonna say stayed but (laughs) part of your story is a move yes that's true Mm -hmm. you you you've come home Uh, you know california i always i mean i'm sure you know this is a californian i'm like i feel like it's multiple countries in one state absolutely (laughs) right (laughs) just like norcal and socal and i'm and i'm like (laughs) what is happening here this is Same state, but not same, same.
0: (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Two different cultures.
1: (laughs) Right. So, you know what? That's a great way for kind of entering my first question. Mm. Did you, so you were born and raised in California. Were you born and raised where you are now? Or
0: did you live in a different part of the state? A different part. I was born and raised in Oakland, California.
1: Okay. Okay. I have not, I know this podcast is not about me, but Mm -hmm. I have not properly, um visited Oakland. I have been to the Bay Area. Okay. I have been to San Fran, yeah. but I have not done a proper yeah, <laughs> like Oakland. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. For pe- for people who have no familiarity with Oakland, tell me what growing up there was like.
0: Oh my gosh, it was it was a community. Um it, of course it's probably very different today cuz that was many years ago, but I I You know, I remember living next door to my neighbors, visiting my grandmother, growing up at school, going to girls club, cheerleading track. And we did everything together. I remember I couldn't walk to the store in my neighborhood and walk home without a neighbor telling my parent if I did something wrong or right, or it was just a community. I mean, it was the same people. My mother grew up in a home and my grandmother stayed there. So we kind of grew up, even though we had our own house, grandma's house was the central place. Oakland mm-hmm. was a very lively, very full of culture, um, oh and full of wonderful people. So um, I enjoyed it. We have the water right by we're in the central. I can get to, I could get to San Francisco in 20 minutes or down to the orchards in San Jose. Um, oh. So it was just pretty central. And I, I really enjoyed it.
1: Oh. Now, was was Oakland in that period? Not, and I and I'll admit, because I, I know not that much about Oakland. Was it predominantly African-American or were there other communities that were part of it? Or yeah. what was kind of the demographics? I
0: think it was pretty black and white. Um, If I based on my knowledge, you know, I remember where my grandmother lived in East Oakland was pretty African-American. You might have had a few other nationalities, but not many, maybe maybe a little a few Mexican or Latino, I should say. And then but up in the um, hills, Oakland Hills, it was a lot of white people, actually, where I went to high school. Actually, my um, my high school was predominantly well, it was black and white. And then mm-hmm. my, the, one of the public high schools was white, so it was pretty black and white. But I grew up in a pretty much African American uh, culture most of the time. Most of the and days.
1: and because you mentioned your your grandmother, and I I am so fascinated in migration stories, particularly Black migration stories in the U.S. because mm-hmm. there's just so much there. Yeah. And we had Dr. Nafisa Allen, who, if you all haven't listened to that episode, she's a migration scholar, like Black migration. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, even with your family dynamics, was was your family a longtime Californian family Mm -hmm. or did they come from other parts of the country
0: and move there? Yeah, that's a good question. So my grandmother and grandfather actually both moved to California when they were kids from Oklahoma. However, (laughs) I had an opportunity um, to do a DNA test and I actually have a cousin who's a genealogist. And I found out that my family is actually from Nigeria, Ghana, Cameroon, and I'm actually part of the Igbo tribe. Um, Actually, so much so they were able to trace back to the slave owner the part, the yeah they have a picture of him he was from sweden so i have a yeah crazy huh i mean (laughs) so long story short i when i grew up i only knew you know my grandparents who were kids in california that's what i knew and so um that yeah i was really californian just like california my parents were born in california yeah wow. yeah
1: i mean i like I said, there's there's just something I think particularly in, in African American migration stories where what you uncover like you said Sweden. I said, wait a minute, didn't you what? <laughs> I, I didn't see that that part coming. But it's it is really fascinating to me kind of the movement that happens in this country yeah. and and there's always an when I ask the question enough of, of enough of African-Americans, the story always ends up somewhere either in the plain. I don't know if Oklahoma is considered a plain state. I don't know what Oklahoma is considered, but mm-hmm. <laughs> above Texas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or in or in the deep south. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm like, yeah, that tracks that tracks. what you were saying. Yeah. yeah. So as a kid, did you guys travel and that could be domestically or internationally
0: yeah. or both? Yeah, I, I traveled as a kid only. It was pretty much nationally. I mean, we would go. Th- place of course Disneyland and Arizona just 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 really much here but my grandfather worked for the airlines and my aunt did too so my family did a lot of traveling um so they would I would they would go to the Bahamas we would see the pictures and um and things like that my aunt still travels so um but well as a kid it was pretty much around with the teams track teams or cheerleading teams pretty pretty local besides Disneyland and like Grand Canyon and yeah. things like that. Yeah, I mean,
1: I've been all over this country. I have been to the Grand Canyon, and I lived, I lived in New Mexico, and somehow never what? managed to go to Arizona. I know I've been, <laughs> I've lived, I've lived around Arizona, yeah. and managed to never. I've been to every state around Arizona, yeah. but I've never actually managed
0: to go. <laughs> yeah. To Arizona. Oh my god, you gotta come. You gotta. Come. I, know. But yeah. I
1: know. I know. Oh my goodness! But I, I, to me, though you know even with traveling right mm-hmm. like was it like road travel or were you flying mostly
0: mostly road travel you know to cabins and fishing mostly road travel I don't remember a lot of plane travel when I was a kid actually mm. gotcha mm-hmm.
1: when do you do you remember uh, do you have an early memory of being on a plane and that could be as a teenager or even as a
0: young adult? I think my first memory was actually when I worked for one of my companies, AT&T. I think I went to New Jersey for an award. And it could have been others, but that one s- sticks out to me. It was Jersey? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Went to Jersey. Baskin Ranch,
1: New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> I
0: was not California. I can tell you that much. <laughs> exactly. No. It was very different. But that was my first experience on a plane. Never been afraid of planes. I think, like I said, because they work at the airlines. We were at the airport a lot. But mm-hmm. that first travel, I just remember as adult. But I would have to ask my mom about traveling as a child. <laughs>
1: I don't remember. Yeah, because she she would yeah she yeah. probably remember right. Now, when when did you take your first international trip?
0: My first international trip was actually when I started to go on cruises. I I went on huh. yeah I went on a black cruise. I can't remember the name. Girl, it was so much fun. <laughs> and, and, and then oh. Of course, I've been to like Mexico because we're in California. See, we don't even go right. as international. We're like, no, that's just across the border. What are you try, <laughs> we didn't even need passports back in the day, right? So I've, so I've been right. to Mexico as a younger person as well, but didn't even think about that because I was <laughs> literally <laughs> I've walked across the border before. <laughs> I was like, I I lived in New Mexico and knew that Mexico.
1: Here's funny. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before. When I lived in New Mexico, mm-hmm. um, and this was in the early to actually, literally, I moved there 2001. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember with 911 everything. Uh, people would ask me when I would fly back out east, did I need a passport? And I'm like, people, you do know, maybe you don't. Yeah, <laughs> New Mexico, <laughs> clearly you don't. It's part of the 50 states. Yeah. And so, but you're right. I think when you're so close, like people in El Paso, right? Yeah. They can go back and forth into Juarez. Yeah. So you're right. I think when you're so close to a place, and I imagine it's the same thing for Americans who are in the Northern border. Yes.
0: For Canada. Yeah.
1: Right. You just, you, you, <laughs> you don't think of it as international yeah. because it's just there. Yeah, It's just there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I know that sounds really bad, but and I've been to both places and they're lovely. Yes. I'm just saying it's, Love you know, it. I, yes. I, I can see it because I think we take for granted, right. Yeah. It's just, we take for granted. Yes. And so, you know, Looking into your background, I know that you, you had an extensive career and, and tell me, (laughs) <laughs> it's almost like the highlight reel of what you did before we even talk about your, your move. Yeah. What is, what, what, what was your career? What was your career trajectory? So tell me how you got to that point, you know, yeah. what did you go to college before and yeah. how you got started your career? Yeah,
0: I actually did. I went to college. I, I started to go to college for information systems because I was working at a fortune 500 telecommunications back then. Wow. And um, so I was going to school, but I had a track, not no, I had a crisis in my life. And so mm-hmm. kind of, changed my trajectory. So here I was climbing a corporate ladder, you know, and I was doing very well. I've managed, you know, large teams and multilingual teams and teams that I didn't even speak the same language. I, I managed a Cantonese team, for example. Yeah, I was uh, the first person that didn't speak the language that they allowed to manage the team because, wow. because I was effective at what I did. So great corporate career. But I, I, I burned out because of life and some things that were going on. Personally, I got a divorce and because I guess I was so busy focused on the other right. stuff. Ended up divorced. So I actually... Kind of stepped back for a little while and went back to switch from information systems and started to just dab in other things and started to work in the startup industry. Uh, Mm. Love the startup industry; was um, it was booming back then. I remember, and it was still telecommunications—that's what it was still called back then. And companies would just hire not only me but my whole team. They were like, "We want you and your team." And so I got to do that. Um, But at the end of that, I was like, you know, this school that I'm going to—I went to. I just went to theology school, honestly, and I didn't go because I thought it would open up the door to be a, a pastor, a preacher, anything like that. I only mm-hmm. because I was uh, I grew up Catholic. And so growing up, because my mo- my grandmother was raised in a convent because her mother died when she was young. So in Oklahoma, she was in. a wow. convent. So anyway, wow. so we ended up at Catholic school and things like that. And um, so when I, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, when I was with one of the Fortune 500 companies and this girl invited me to church a Baptist church and I went to the Baptist church and they were talking about David and a wheel and a wheel. And I I was like, what? Who? So when I came and I was, you know, making my transition, I was like, I want to learn more about God. I just want to learn. So that's why I chose theology school. And Mm -hmm. at that time it opened up a whole new world for me. My pastor at church starts saying, would you teach? Would you do this? I tell you, I call God Jehovah sneaky because he set me up. He set me up. So here I am transitioning out of technology and I became the, the first hired female pastor, um, uh, administrative pastor at my church. And from that, I went on the seminary, launched um, um, a degree program that um, was marriage and family therapy. It was the first time they were teaching us to integrate what people yeah. believe with. And then I became a licensed marriage and family therapist and and I'm an entrepreneur by nature. I mean, most things that I do is by nature, just I have an uh, entrepreneurial approach to things and I love building. I love helping people build. So from corporate to startup, to pastor, to licensed marriage and family therapist to today. (laughs) First of all, people don't
1: write those stories because nobody nobody could come up with that story. I can't make that up. No. But here's what I'm really fascinated, especially with kind of yeah. the theme about culture entry that I, I kind of want to pick on today is that yeah. backing up in your corporate tech world. Right. And and having the opportunity to lead a yes. Cantonese te- speaking team, for example. What what do you think were your strengths or what do you think you learned in terms of trying to navigate maybe cultures, work cultures, environments that are very different from you, just from
0: a professional standpoint. Absolutely. So before I became the Cantonese manager, I was the trainer at the Multilingual Center. And I remember, and, and the the center had Cantonese, Mandarin, Korean, Tagalog, Vietnamese, it had French, and, and maybe a few more, but definitely those. And so they would all be together in training. And I remember, I remember her name, Amy. She said to me, cause I would train them, have them for six weeks before they went out to the floor. She says, you have really changed my mind about black people. I thought you, I thought you were, I thought you all didn't save money and something else. I can't remember the second thing, but mm-hmm. it was at that time in that training that what one thing I realized was my God, sometimes I'm the first Black person people have met. And though I would have normally been offended, very offended, probably yeah. if we were in a different context, I yeah. wasn't because I understand like I have an opportunity to impact the way someone sees my culture because all they had was TV. Mm-hmm. All they had was, you know, uh, what people have told them and what was written in the media. Mm-hmm. Oh, she said, I thought you all were lazy and didn't save money. That's what she said to me. Mm-hmm. And she didn't in front of everybody. So my heart broke for my culture, for being Black, and my heart broke for her. Yeah. I think the second thing I learned on when managing the Cantonese team is They were so willing to share their culture and so willing for me to when they saw that I was trying to understand theirs. I went and took a Chinese course. It was called Chinese. I did not know I was learning Mandarin. So I come back. I'm like, Ni hao, Ma. They was like, no, that's (laughs) me. And so I did go back and take a little Cantonese. And the more I tried, the more they opened up to me. And the more they, I mean, these people became my family because I, I, you know, they only wanted me. The company only wanted me to get the results. I got the results that they, right. and I could move on to something else. But these people, we began to have different kind of um, activities together, and it had really prepared uh, a compassionate heart for me. I saw them; they saw me, and I understood that together um, is what makes the world go round and a better world.
1: You know, I think there's something powerful in in what you said, especially in that first scenario, because it is, and, and I, by the way, thank you for your transparency, because I think it can be hard to hear a negative mm-hmm. about your identity or your people group. Yes. And to be able to reframe mm-hmm. and hear the, po- you know, like, use it as a teachable moment and 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 also and reflect on okay this is where they were but this mm-hmm. is where they've gotten to yes. because it it is let, let's be honest right especially when we talk I, you know literally i was thinking the other day and the, and this is not the same exact scenario but i was mm-hmm. thinking about this the other day at what point does a microaggression become just an aggression yeah exactly <laughs> cool. because because let's be honest i know plenty of people and and i would totally understand if they had heard that comment right I don't know if they would have gotten to the the next part, <laughs> right?
0: Exactly, exactly. If I hadn't been with them for up to six weeks, you know, and she's graduated, I may not have been there either. But I experienced them, you know. Many of them, I have to say. I mean, for example, we had to put signs on the toilet on how to use it. These were first generation a lot of times. So you know, you uh, go into the bathroom, you see the fingerprint, and you're like, "You don't stand on the toilet here." So you know, so I, I started, yeah. <laughs> I started to see and say. They don't know. They don't know. Yeah. And so when people are ignorant to something and I have an opportunity to open their eyes, I'm going to take that opportunity because it's the ignorance and fear that keeps us separated anyway.
1: Yeah. 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 No, and I mean here's the thing. That's also a very mature response because because yeah. I'm still
0: because
1: yeah. I still work with folks and I go you you assume that that person has the same context as you. Yeah. We we all grow very different
0: Yes. Right. And, I mean,
1: I think this is you don't have to travel to know this. Yes. Right. You could be in your country and go to a different part of your country or even two doors down. Yes. And, and understand. And so to me, I'm feeling I'm thinking that is that's a muscle and that's a skill that you'd already developed that I would imagine once you once you got into your international spaces. Yes. Yes. <laughs> became something that was flexed. Yes. And and so. You know, with, with kind of that background, what do you think, you know, what do you think is a challenge when folks are working with international teams, like just mm-hmm. from a professional standpoint? Okay. And, and we're talking really about that cultural conversation and competence. Where do you think you've seen or have experienced or even thought about this is, this is why, especially when you have teams that are working from different countries, yeah. right? Or even, and I, I, part of this is me, me being on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Um, I saw a young, young woman. I want to say she's a younger millennial, maybe an early, yeah, yeah, she should be a younger millennial. And we talked about, and she was a black woman, talked about bringing her authentic self. Yeah. And, and using the language that she knows and other people being like, okay, people have to understand what this means in this context. But what, it, where do you think the challenges or the barriers tend to be with, with, with teams not working together to get that cultural meshness happen?
0: yeah I think the first thing that is when you put leaders in place that are not conscious of even who they are or mm. in, they cannot be conscious leaders because uh if they don't understand their context and their own programming, how they show up, how they think, how they filter you know their whole those meta programs they cannot they cannot help anyone else because they don't they're not even aware of themselves so I think first thing, we have to make sure. That the, the people that are leading these teams understand who they are, their cultural context, what it means to other people, how they mm-hmm. come across. And then when you start putting teams together, a lot of times when you're not, when you have a leader that's not conscious, they try to put together teams like them. They want people to assimilate. Come on now. They walk like me, talk like me, be like me. Well, that doesn't make a highly performing team. So we talk about diversity and inclusion and belonging, but it, that's not just a mix of ethnicities, right? Mm-hmm. That is yep. a, of so much more of introvert, extrovert of, of, you know, how you process, how you think, how you feel. And so that, that part is culture too. That can be developed in cultural contexts too. So I think the, the, the thing about the difficulty and the challenge is a lot of times we treat people like you, 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 um, especially when we come across something that feels challenging or different or uncomfortable, but really it is it, it, it. Take it off the person. There's no right or wrong in that person. That person was somebody before they got to where you were, to, to where you are, before they got to the team. Try to uncover that and discover that and find out the piece of the puzzles. You never have a two pieces of a puzzle that are exactly the same and try to put them together. You try um, to figure out, this is, if you know who you are, you're like, okay, I'm strong here. I'm here. I might show up like this. I might filter like this, but I under, I see this person's a feeler and this is true. I'm a thinker. I'm not a feeler in most cases in my default. So Mm -hmm. when I come across people that feel, I have to be like, oh, okay. I listen to the words that they use that, you know, I understand that. And I try to be like, okay, well, how do I meet them halfway? How do I, how do I meet them? And then how do I bring them along with me? Can I incorporate things that help them understand what i am saying because a lot of times we can even go like this right mm-hmm. but the, the, the biggest thing is you gotta you gotta know yourself you gotta study your teams you and i still i'm gonna say this a lot see them for the strength that they have see them hear them and 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 give them way don't have people working in their weakness <laughs> yeah you <right>? know? <laughs> the weakness and put them in their strengths. And you know what? The best managers are the ones that know how to leverage and put together teams. I want people on my team that's better than me, (laughs) has a different view than me, because they can be like, don't do that. I did that before, and I went off the cliff. (laughs) Yeah, so... (laughs) I mean, it's beautiful if you can do it. The co-creation process, when you have different people on your teams, you will come out with the most innovative solutions that you could ever think of. But when you're homogeneous and you have fear and you are ignorant, you'll keep producing the same thing and you will think you are right because you have no other context.
1: You know what? You just said a word. Actually, you said a chapter in a book. So let <laughs> <laughs> so- <laughs> Let's just be honest. I'm sitting there going, yes, that part, that part, that part. Yes. You came for the expat story, but you got some business coaching. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. This being the global chatter means that there's always an international story involved. So
0: for our listeners, can you tell us how did you end up moving to Norway? Absolutely. So I remarried, um, and I had a husband, My husband had originally uh, he lived in Norway. He was married before too to a Norwegian, so he had kids. Um, they were two of them were actually living with us when we were married. And their Norwegian friends visited, and they were like, "Your life is too hard." They're talking to me. They take us to dinner. Too hard in America. You should move to Norway if you learn the language, you'll get over there and have the best life ever. And I'm like, okay. My hu- and my husband wanted to retire there, and so he applied for a few jobs. He got the job that he wanted. Um, and um, I said yes, and we packed it up and went to Norway. Okay, is your wait? So, is your husband American? He's American, African American. Okay, but he had lived in Norway. And just for
1: clarification, because I was like, is he Norwegian? But it's all good. No, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, African American. So, how? What? What year did you move to Norway? 2013. Had you been to Norway before? Never. <laughs> <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> sorry because i'm laughing i've I been in norway i'm not i'm not slacking on norway I'm, I'm yeah just asking.
0: nope nowhere <laughs> over there i had never been to europe really Mm-mm. i was caribbean hawaii Mexico. yeah you were cruising
1: in the americas i got yeah. you yeah. i mean there's yeah. more than enough on the americas which i don't know why i get surprised i like ah you haven't been here but yeah. i you know, people have heard me say this. I just recently took my very first trip to the Caribbean as many places as I've been. I, I'm the opposite of you. It's like, like I haven't done enough, (laughs) enough of that.
0: My husband too. He's opposite. He's never been to the Caribbean, but he's been everywhere else. I'm like, come on now we're going Uh, this year.
1: Oh my God. No, you should No, for real. But okay. So you to moved from Oakland or from somewhere else?
0: So, no. So from when I got married, so I was in San Jose after I worked in corporate and stuff. So I ended up in San Jose. The church where I was at was in San Jose. Okay, And then um, when I married my husband, we moved to L.A., another culture, culture shock there. (laughs) I have to tell you, culture shock there, too. I was culture shocking all over (laughs) So from L.A. to Norway. (laughs) which already already sounds like a story so
1: and i've been to la and if you've never been to la la is its i think la is its own space for people who are not from la originally and for people who are originally from la right because i've learned that there's also two there's some there's some black folks i know who are like generationally from la and they definitely have different stories and experiences than everybody who's not from L.A. Yes, yes. And so, okay, so tell me about this. You decide yeah. to move to Norway.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. What, <laughs> was it
1: winter? i want to be like, was it, it winter? It was winter.
0: It was, a <laughs> it was winter. What's, and, a, what's a Norwegian winter like? I, oh my God. <laughs> okay, so from California to Norway. <laughs> right. Yeah, oh my, so- when we landed, we had he had some wonderful friends who we still love today. They are a Norwegian family, and we stayed with them. I have never felt so much cold in my life, and why they want to put us on skis two two days after I'm there? And the wool, it, it was dark first of all because you know in the winter it starts to get dark and little light. It was cold, but it was beautiful. <laughs>
1: okay, so that's the saving grace is that it was pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, here, let, let me just go ahead and ask the question because I already know some people are thinking this. Y'all yeah. Black in Norway. What What? What is? What does this mean? Like, yeah. what does this look like for you? Especially as, once again, you are a native Californian. Obviously, yes. you live in other pa- places in the U.S. You go in winter and you're coming from a state where winter looks very different. Yeah. And I'm assuming culturally also looks very different. What was your experience? And let's talk about initially, like getting yeah. acclimated.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> it was tough. So first of all, you'd be, ha- you'd be shocked to know that there are a lot of African American and African descent in general. Mm. I was shocked. I was happy. My, one of my first experiences. Well, first of all, getting acclimated, um, in another culture with another language. I, because I couldn't even read, I had salmon and potatoes for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't deep fried i'm in the yeah, south so i know go ahead mercy i was and then you know just i remember the first breakfast because we have to stay with them until the apartment was ready where we were and i remember for breakfast we would eat these things they call it birth and it's like um a, um a a cracker that looks like cardboard and you take slick cheese and put on it cucumber and tomato and you can put other things you can put um they call it poleg you can put jelly if you want you can put um I, avocado, just things like that. And I'm like, but can I have pancakes and sausage? <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs>
1: Sounds terrible.
0: No, no, no shades in Norway, but no shade. Oh no shade. God. It's what I was used to, right? Yeah. And they ate that for breakfast and then they ate it again for lunch. I was like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, but 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 you know, it was so it was absolutely, um, but I was, I have to say, you know, those initial stages, you're super excited. I didn't even care. I was willing. I was ready to learn. I, I, I end up not liking that, but you know, I didn't think, think that then. But I remember the biggest thing about being black in Norway is I went to a church and, um, cause my husband's a pastor too. I'll be mean, a pastor. He's a pastor. And so, um, I went to a church and there was, uh, one black lady there. I made my, at the break when you have the, they have coffee and cake after church. I made my way to her. I was like, "Hi, my name's Alicia. What's your name?" And she and and I had never. Okay, this is gonna sound real narrow minded, but she's the first. She's from Uganda. I for but she looked like African American, so I was shocked. <laughs> at her, and she was speaking Norwegian, and it was just it was just. So she is my sister friend. Yeah, she is. I mean, so so we are speckled throughout there. You have a lot of African uh, immigrants. Uh, who have married to norwegians we have the refugee community of course um uh, we have the expat community and i ended up working at the embassy so uh, some of my really good friends were african american you know the funny thing and i'm
1: i'm not mad at you and and i get it so don't worry about anyone thinking you narrow minded as much yeah. as i've traveled in bimsley says i've done that too <laughs> like i was at a conference mm-hmm. and i swore this woman was african american Mm -hmm. Up in my mind, I'm smart enough. I don't, (laughs) I don't say it. In my mind, I remember this. I was like, she definitely black from the states or maybe the UK, but she's definitely whatever. Girl, she was from Malaysia. Okay, (laughs) she. she There you go. There you go. (laughs) And I was like, and I remember I told her later on. I was like, look, I thought you were. I'm not gonna lie. You look like. Yes. You were this, but you are not that. And it, and then it's funny because I've also been to places where I see people and my brain doesn't click that they are also part of that community because yeah. I have in my mind what those people, what, what those citizens look like, yeah. which is why I think I have more grace now when folks honestly do not assume I'm American when I'm traveling around yeah. because let's be honest. I do to this. I do it to people all day long. I just don't say. I don't say it out loud. So if you go, oh, you're from the states. I didn't think you were American. I'm not even going to be mad because I yes. didn't think you
0: were whatever either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? But you say something, because I have to tell you, because my husband's a much browner skin than I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you that they always assumed he was African. Mm-hmm. And, and and they always they didn't because I'm of a fairer skin. They always thought I was Portuguese I mean, I got everything Portuguese, um, sometimes some type of um from Iran. Or, I mean, just, I got all kind of stuff and I'm going to tell you language is power. So when I would find myself in situations because, because they didn't treat us, I would speak English so clearly and back them up so fast. I'm like, don't you get it twisted. Don't get it. Tw- I can speak. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's no, and it's,
1: it's true. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it, it's so weird. Like I, and you know, obviously being in the States, things are look a little bit different, but yeah. I find that yes, I've been to a lot of countries around the world where, and I'm on the darker end, and <laughs> they're actually not wrong, right? <laughs> they're like, "Are you African?" Well, I'm yeah. first gen, so you are, <laughs> you yeah. are actually right. Yeah. But, but you know, there's an association that if you're darker, you are African, and then if you're on the lighter end of the black spectrum, assumptions that you're mixed yeah. or you're just—I mean, it could you fill in the blanks, right? They're like women. I've asked, I've asked folks what people have thought they were who were who were fair and they were some of the stuff i'm like that's where they landed that's so far from where your people are from but they were like you know it's whatever proximity to the country they're in so they're you know but i i was traveling one time in, in south america by myself and this woman's dad kept staring at me and I may have said this before the earlier podcast, but it was super funny. He kept staring at me and and the daughter spoke English and, and they, and and she was like, my dad wants to know where you're from. And I'm like, Oh, I'm American. And she was like, my dad's were up and down that you were Colombian. And the thing is they were Colombian (laughs) and there's a large Afro Colombian community. yeah. (laughs) So he just, I was in Argentina. And so you don't see as many. And in Argentina, they just assumed I was Brazilian right yes, and i'm like yes, they done picked yes. everywhere in south america and i ain't even yes. from this this
0: america i'm from yes. from Europe. yes exactly girl i this i have to share this i went yes. to uganda and I, I i remember i was buying something i wanted to buy this shirt and it said something about african she's like no 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 you buy buy this one and my friend who was from uganda i told you she's my sister friend now she's like no cuz that one said white african I was like, I am not white, girl. I had to pull out the pictures of my teeth. I was like, do you see this? I am not white, and and I, and I got that so much abroad, so much, and that was frustrating to me actually to have to prove that I'm black. I'm like, no, 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 I am black, no. So I grabbed was like, I have my picture because I have one son. He's like the, super dark, and and all the way down. I'm like, these are my children thank you very much thank i you. want the black I want the one for the black african <laughs> and you know and
1: what's really wild is that black comes in so many shades and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. let's be once again i've lived on the continent there are black people of all shades on the con- yes. like i have aunts that are much fairer than me so yes. it's not like <laughs> i don't know why it is and it might i think part of it is features too yeah. But like, I'm just like, this is not an anomaly if you look at these regions. And so yes. it's just, it's interesting to kind of go down that rabbit mm-hmm. hole. But so yeah. tell me though, you yeah. know, what living in Norway, obviously mm-hmm. Western countries. So there's some things culturally that might be similar, but then the mm-hmm. things that are very unique to being in Norway.
0: Yes. What were
1: some of the challenges you kind of found in, in the spaces you were navigating and, and, and particularly what you did not anticipate?
0: Yeah, um, how individualized that country is. Um, they, when you go to school in Norway from, you're with the same people from preschool through high school. So you don't need new friends, you know. So when you have outsiders come in, it's really hard to find a place in. Also, I remember. I wanted to, I was really keen on connecting because I read all these blogs and, you know, connect. I was on a bus and I would smile and say hi to everybody and no one would sit next to me. And at the end of the day, I didn't meet anyone. It was just the weirdest thing. So I asked my, my bonus daughter, who's Norwegian and African-American, and she said, she said, don't do that. She said, the only people to do that are crazy people, drunks, and Americans. She says, we don't talk to strangers, right? <laughs> she said, we don't talk to strangers. And so then I started just being quiet and, you know, but when you fall, they don't help you. When you have bags, they don't help you. It's so, and I was just like, where is the, they would bump into you. It got so bad that, cause they would just bump and not say, excuse me, me and my, my husband, we was like square up. We, we don't take your shoulder off. Cause you ain't getting ready to bump into me and just walk by, but it was their culture and it was just so different. You know, I just, that, that was very difficult. It was very, um. Difficult, it's a high assimilation country. Uh, Got, you know, ski, and they really wanted, my friends would always want me to go on, they call it, it's like a cabin tour, the heat to tour. And you go out, and it's no, no, usually no running water, no electricity uh, you know, and, and, a outside toilet and they love no. it. They go there on the weekends and I'm just, you know, I went one time, we were supposed to stay in the weekend. I was like, you got one night, I'm out. And so they laugh at me because, um, you know, the things that are just normal, and I just, <sighs> it was, yes. that part was challenging. It was challenging because they really did expect for us to do things the way they did them. They could not understand, um, that we were different. It was challenging to see them remove so many Black kids from homes because they felt the parenting wasn't good uh, or the child said, oh, my dad chastised me. You know, I mean, I became, of course, an advocate there, right? And working, I mean, so th- those things were hard. It was hard to see uh, the difference with you know between uh, white immigrants and mm. Black immigrants. What, what were the differences that you noticed Um, some of the main things was access to jobs. Yeah. Um, even not getting interviews. They actually had a chapter in our book when we were learning Norwegian called change your name, even though they didn't mean it. They was like, if you want an interview, change your name, you know, um, literally the parenting, um, just, I felt that, um, I was less than I remember a hiring manager because they were friends with my husband and he was fluent in Norwegian. He was very much accepted. And um, because he was there before and he had he had a tribe. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't. And so he got two people to talk to me. One hiring manager said, well, you can apply, but we're probably not going to even interview you. You know, she said we're we're afraid to hire different cultures. They changed the work culture. Mm -hmm. She said, and she just meant it and she just said it like that. So that was a thing. Another thing is I was an entrepreneur there and though my business plan was solid and I ended up getting it invested in, in America, Mm -hmm. they made every excuse they could not to invest in me, but a white Norwegian company who didn't have some of the proof or, you know, or some of the validation, they would always get the money and their excuses so much. So I fought on one and I got a Norwegian to actually, um, write something for me and make it very public. And I did get a little bit, but after that it was no more. And, and they have many stories of, um, of other people in newspapers, just that's it. No, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I can go on and on, but yeah. I mean, I think
1: you, you touched on a couple of things. Number one, and, and we're both coming from an American point of view yes as individualistic and we're very individual like our society we are very individual focused right kind of pull yourself by your bootstraps, and you know yeah. whatnot because because I think partially we're not homogenous that's yeah. just we all come from different places um we are also oddly friendly <laughs> no. like, like and I've heard this in yeah. other places I was in Qatar and I was taught in the back of a taxi and I was talking to a taxi driver from Nepal. And he said, no, he loves driving the Americans Mm because we're really chatty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, that's we're loud and we're there. So yes, we, we are, we're engaging. And so I can imagine stepping into a space where, you know, we're not, I mean, we're not always the nicest people. I think it depends on where you are, but like we, we, we acknowledge and we, we greet folks and, you know, I go I go walking all the time. And yeah, it's that, 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 you know, mm-hmm. the eye contact, the knowledge, you know, the, the, the head, not all of that. Right. All of that. Mm-hmm. And I also, whatever. And so I can imagine being in a space where it's so different. Mm-hmm. Like those are the little things you don't think about before you leave. Right. But then you get into a space where, you know, and I'm, I'm not even touching the microaggressions, yeah. right? But yeah. just even the things that are the norms that you've grown up with. Yeah. And so, you know, racism and racial issues aside, how does someone and how did you find ways to sort of still navigate with those
0: sort of things swirling around? Yeah, education. So when we moved abroad, our we were going to retire there. So we were thinking we were going to be there for the rest of our life. Okay. So, so I got a lot of the because he lived there before. I was treated like someone who married a Norwegian and went so into the system. So I did a lot of studies at the university on language and culture and things like that. People bought me books on some of the cultural, you know, you know, it, yeah, just different things about the culture and things like that. So. I think what I did is I I wanted to see them. I wanted to learn. I wanted to. And I started to imitate them, actually. You know, you, you started to imitate. OK, well, this is the proper thing to do here. So this is what I'll do, um, which is the thing that actually led to my break. But we won't talk about that later. But I was so busy trying to learn and be like them that I actually lost who I was. I have to say that mm. um, But I think education, getting out there, joining language cafes. Um, I joined a professional women's network. Um, Mm -hmm. I started a mentoring program there. I mentored with Norwegians. I had Norwegians mentor me um, and just give me insight. And I I really, my goal was really to um, be in the culture, Mm -hmm. live it, make mistakes. And the hardest thing, and they say this about educated people, Mm -hmm. you know, the hardest thing about educated people when they move abroad is one, it's hard to learn a language because we don't want to sound dumb. Yeah. And also those things I I, and I got to a point where I just had to allow myself to make mistakes. I had to be okay with I may get it right sometime and I may not. But I did stop speaking to people. I mean, so much so when I got back, visited the States, I had to remember to say hi to people. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. Because you had you had adjusted to the environment that you were in. Yeah. I mean, I think we all I mean, you said it's a high assimilation culture. So, yes. (laughs) i think you were you were were assimilating yeah and and did your husband since he had lived there before do you think he had the same challenges or different challenges or was it he he knew what to expect
0: and so he just kind of fell right in he kind of knew what to expect but it was very different when he lived there many years ago it had not been a lot of immigration there so they were much more open to him And, you know, so when he married and got there, he actually got his first job without even speaking the language and things like that. But he was shocked this time at how different it was because the gates had been open. And so they start putting rules and things in place to try to control the immigrant population. But he had an instant tribe and he was fluent in the language so he could navigate very well. Um, He had his place. And this is this happens, too, with the people. I, I hate to call them trailing spouses and, or the, the trailing families, but it happens a lot. We don't have that instant tribe, right? Yeah. We have the builder. He does. He has the language. He has a group. of. He can go out with the people at work. And I think that was the difference. So his his experience, uh, he was very sensitive to me, but I do think his experience going back into it was very different. and And so I had to do everything from scratch where a lot of what he had became instant.
1: And that's a totally, and you know what, that's a totally valid point about his experience too, that the country had changed yeah, and the, whatever the socio-political landscape looked like, right? Because immigration, I mean, immigration is such a big conversational point in a lot of Western countries, but especially Europe, obviously with, with kind of flows coming from different parts of the world. And so, Yeah. yeah, it's funny. You can, like I would say, you, when you go back to a place It's not always the way you remember, you know, the way you remember it and the way it was. Yes. We forget that time moves for everyone.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: And so you you touched on something and and feel free to share as much as you want to share. But Mm -hmm. you mentioned you had intended to retire, but obviously you're back in the States. What, What kind of changed
0: the scenario? Yeah, so I came home for a six-month project to help the church where I was once pastoring transition to a new pastor. That was in December 2019, and then COVID happened in 2020. <laughs> well, what happened was um, when COVID happened, my husband, he was here. So the course, in a way, allowed him to stay here with me. And while he was here, he was offered a job to come back and pastor the church that I was trying to transition a new pastor to. So I am back <laughs> literally at the church where I met him he was a pastor someplace else yeah he was I was a pastor at the church where I am now he was a pastor at another church in LA but our congregants had introduced us so I'm back at my original church um, and so he he said yes and he came in January 2021 and yeah it's been because he was ready to retire in Spain he was like we're going to Spain it's half the price because of Brexit <laughs> It's sunny, it's warm. I've been to Spain. Spain is popping. Yes. Look, yes. And we're back in the expensive Silicon Valley. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you end up where you started. Oh my god. Yes.
1: So okay, so COVID has been such a theme for so many episodes. Yes. But this is what I want to ask though. And I I also recognize that COVID is a once in a generation kind Hope of an I'm event of it. Yeah. hopefully <laughs> yes. god willing but this is what i want to ask you you obviously just explained some of the challenges of going into a new culture what does it mean to come back especially when and, and in your case and you know you weren't really even anticipating
0: mm-hmm.
1: coming back but no. everything that happened in covid was it a, and, and you already talked a little bit about this. Was it now a culture re-entry shock coming back after being gone? And how long were you guys gone for?
0: Uh, a total of eight years.
1: Okay. So that's a long time. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Besides a few months. Yeah. But um, reverse culture shock is real. I went through the same grieving process because I had settled in as best I could made friends, had my mind wrapped around living abroad, Loved traveling all over the world from there and right. coming home. So coming back, I have to tell you, people get tired of hearing your story. You have a wider <laughs> world here. Yeah. So the way you think and see things, even the way you... I experience immigrants now or so I am so sensitive, sensitive to that. I care. I care about when someone can't speak English properly. You know what they're saying. You don't have to be mean to them. Right. I, so <laughs> um, that part and the tired I felt I told somebody I, I can't find my tribe. I don't I, I can't find my place right? I I didn't want to go back and be exactly what I was because I had grown so much. I didn't want to go back into a job with one lane because I have all this experience and I wanted to leverage it right where I was, you know, and I just can't go back to who I was. And I went through the same grieving process to, you know, the, 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 all the sadness, the shock, the, you know, excited at first, my family, and don't get me wrong, it's bittersweet. I love being back, but, that is a process, and I am just settling because I've been so that was two thousand and nineteen, but we were really shut down, right. But I feel like this is the first year that i'm we're really starting a life. and this is a, the I'm finally starting to um settle. Finally, finally starting to settle. So, um, but it's still very hard. I still haven't found my tribe. So I reach out globally and, um, and which is why I'm going to do the company I'm doing. I have to have global companions. I have to still travel. I have, I can't. Um, so yeah, it's very, very hard, but yeah, you, you can tell your story once, maybe twice, and they're like, I don't really care about your stuff, Abog. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you ain't there no more. You mm-hmm. back. Right? <laughs> and sometimes the people
1: you left, they It's really funny. Other things yeah. change, but somehow, you know, yeah. they're still what they are. Yeah. And, and so this is why I was interested in your brand, yeah. Authentic and Great, mm-hmm. because For those who don't know, you have both a book and a platform that really talks about this in depth. And so for people who are listening, can you talk
0: a little bit about what your mission is and what you do with your work here? Yeah, absolutely. So, that My real goal is to. I created a handbook to navigate new cultures and countries, and I put both because you can move from California to New York or Northern California to Southern, but especially in the uh, when you move to different countries, um, I want to make the journey of integrating to a new place a little bit easier. A lot of times, um, I said when we when we pack our own, you know, when we take care of moving abroad, we pack. We know where to shop, we know where to live, we know where to send the kids to school, but we don't take care of us personally that emotional well-being that are who we are you know um and so I want to help people emotionally it's, um, I want to support the expat but and their family members too yeah because how do they find a place how can you be and live authentically who you are abroad because a lot of times I was forced to feel like again assimilate but no I have something to offer I was a trailblazer at home I can add value to your society. And I hope to one, be a bridge to help society see that you need these people, these expats that are moving abroad and you need to leverage sometimes their family members because they have something to offer too. But also I want the, the, um, the expat that's going to understand and and their family member that you are somebody that you are, whoever you was take stock of who you were before you left and things may change or they might try to put you in a box, but remember and intentionally navigate that culture so that at the end of the day, you are proud of who you are and what you've become in that new place. And so I'm going to do it. I have a book out. I want to have online courses like what the first 100 days abroad. How do you set it up so that you can navigate those ups and downs? That time when you're sad and you can't find that chunky monkey ice cream, right? Or something like that. Or are the Thanksgiving when you you thought you were going to have an American Thanksgiving, but you can't even find half right. the food. right?
1: You know,
0: things like that. What do you do? How do you prepare yourself for those emotional things? And we ignore that. We don't talk about that. I am doing coaching. Uh, I want to coach, like you said, I want to coach leaders that are leading diverse teams, but I want to coach individuals too, Mm. because we're becoming a more and more borderless society. Yeah. Right. And and so I want to, I want to embrace that. And I want to create a tribe of global companions, you know, where we're all talking to each other and sharing resources and things like that. So that's what I see. That's what I'm doing. um, And that's how I learned to leverage who I was prior to moving abroad what i learned abroad and coming back home i finally found my sweet spot <laughs> you know what and i you have a great
1: family of resources that you just listed and and i'm going to make sure are on our website and our show notes for sure because especially you know and and, and we've talked a little bit in the pro- and mostly in the professional space mm-hmm. but obviously your resources are available just even for the individual who is in transition Yes. And it's not, you know, this is still personal, right? Because all of this yes. is still affects the personal. And so yes. I I am going to make sure that that stuff is available and people know mm-hmm. where to find you because yes. I think just in the little part that you've shared in your story, it's very important. It's very key that we have these resources. Yes. And, I, and I'm and i especially thinking about my expats that are self-initiated. Yes. So, so, you know, historically it's been their diplomatic missionary core, it's yeah. been your um corporate core, right? Yes. But and even military, but with so many people going on their own. Yes. They may not have access to the resources and the systems that they would have had if they were tethered to an organization. And so absolutely. I think that your work is key. So all right, Alicia, we made it. Oh, we <laughs> made it. <Yeah. laughs> <That was> wonderful. <laughs> we, we absolutely made it. And so I will have her link up on our site. And so you can follow her and find her. But thank you so much for coming to spend time with me today.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Fuccio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram, at The Global Chatter, or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter, or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com.